Hello and welcome to The Aside, a podcast for drama teachers and students. I'm Nick Waxman and today we're speaking with Matthew Lutton, Artistic Director and Co-CEO of Malthouse Theatre, about their upcoming production of Cloud Street, which appears on the 2019 VCE Theatre Studies playlist. Because students are only required to watch the first act, these questions and answers are focused on that act and the designs, decisions and creative choices found in Act 1. We recorded this podcast in person at Malthouse Theatre Southbank, thanks to Toby Sullivan. Without further ado, I welcome to the podcast, Matthew Lutton. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for giving us your time. So, you're directing Cloud Street. Yeah, it's an intimidating project to take on board. It's enormous in every regard. It's a big show. It's got a big uh, cultural history towards it. People are big Tim Winton fans. People can some people can still remember the production from twenty years ago. So there's yeah, it's a bit yeah. There's a lot of expectations on this one. How are you handling those expectations? Um, through a lot of preparation at the moment, um, we've been preparing probably. Over a good over a year um, of the show, so we only finished casting it about a month ago or just before Christmas. So assembling the team of 12 actors has been a huge process of going around the country to find that ensemble. Um, the work with the designer, Zoe Atkinson in Perth, has been wonderfully intense. It's been a really difficult show to design. So that's been really exciting to wrestle with that. And now we're very excited by our design, but it was a difficult show to a uh, complicated show. Um, and because it's a five hours of theatre, I'm endlessly trying to determine how to schedule rehearsals and make sure we cover everything and don't forget to rehearse the ending. How is the script being interpreted in this production? This script, uh, it's being interpreted in a different way in our production. Uh, And there's also some small changes that Justin Monjo, the playwright, is doing to the script as well. Um, And a lot of that's about, I think we see the story of Cloud Street through a different lens than we possibly did 20 years ago. I think, um, you know, I don't, maybe 20 years ago it was deeply loved and is still loved today because of the characters and the way you can uh, relate to them. Like Tim talks about, you love you love them, you worry for them, you want for them. And I think that's incredibly still true. But I think there's another politics around the show these days. I think the idea of the house as a haunted country or haunted house that has a history that uh, is, sometimes, is often not heard uh, and that needs to be heard in a process but particularly between Indigenous Australia and non-Indigenous Australia is about hearing those parallel histories um, becomes a new way to sort of contextualise the play in many ways. So um, things that we've done is this cast is, uh, has four, I think, out of the 12 performers are Indigenous, which creates a whole different uh, visibility of that narrative on stage. Um, the some of the politics are, are placed more up front. Like we begin the story now with the story of the house as a missionary for the indigenous girls, which sort of allows that to sit as its own narrative, as opposed to a memory narrative inside a white narrative. It sort of starts as it's we start with it having its own voice. Um, there's, uh, I mean, I'm really interested in this production to push the sort of epic 
moments of Tim Winton's narrative. So these moments in the story where, like where Fish and Quick are out on the river and uh, experience something that is sort of beyond language that they can't articulate when they perhaps uh, they slip into a place where they can see the past and the present and the future simultaneously, like this incredible time of this elastic time. Uh, I really want that, that. That's a part, I think, of Tim's sort of um, sense of spirituality. I really want to make quite intense in the show, and so we've been talking a lot about how to do that theatrically. Um, and and some of the disability politics are slightly different in this as well. Working with a uh, a young performer with an intellectual disability to play fish lamb uh, creates a whole wonderful new. Uh, sort of elevation of his character and uh, authenticity. So we're sort of uh, approaching it from lots of different angles. Will the script keep its original context? It will still be costumed um, in the 40s and 50s and 60s. This play still exists in that era. But I think the show is very aware that you're watching it from a 2019 point of view. So like theatrically... Um, you know, I guess it has a, a very contemporary theatrical style. Often it's quite minimal uh, and then has quite huge, big epics of dream images interrupted into it. So it does that thing that a lot of contemporary theatre does of switching forms and styles regularly. Um, but it's also just got a awareness of, um, yeah, what how we read this story now and how we also read in the margins of the characters that aren't present in it and how to... Uh, acknowledge their presence. So you will be changing the order of the scenes as they appear in the script? Yes, so we'll start with... Um, it's already in the current play text, but in in the published version, scene eight, I think it is, is uh, when they go into the middle room of the house and, and a storyteller steps forward and tells the story of the house as a mission. Uh, so what we've done is then move that to the front of the play and change this tense so as it's a present tense uh, that we're in the house at that moment of it being a mission and then we jump to uh, the pit lambs and the accident with fish. So there's a sense of moving more chronologically and I guess also that we set up the house as the first character as opposed to setting up and then we introduce the two families who will insert themselves into the house. I mean, I mean a really important part of this story for me is that the lambs and the pickles aren't welcome. They're not, one, they don't want to live in this house and the house doesn't want them to live in it either. And it takes them 20 years to reconcile that to a degree. They, they start to live together and the house starts to let them live there and it, you know, it takes time. But at the beginning, it's, it's hostile, I think, metaphorically, between families and house. Will this concept of the house not wanting to be inhabited be realised theatrically? Well, we, we, yes, but not in a... We don't really physicalise it in the sense that um, we start with a space and the house is an intrusion into it. So there's a lot of ideas in the design that are about borders and lines and ways we dissect space and, and, and culture. So um, the production is staged in a big sort of open space but the house literally is four big like slices of house that cut into it and divide it up, that, that real estate really. They divide up the land and the actors draw a line down the middle of it and sort of stake a, make a border like a territory or state border. Um, and so there's a real sense of carving up land. Um, but also because those walls move, 
uh, the house is able to breathe and push people around. And I, it's sort of got, you know, it's got a little bit of, um, uh, yeah, reference to, to horror and haunted houses that are able to sort of change their dimensions and sort of, you know, um, suddenly a room can feel very claustrophobic and feel like it's moving in around you or suddenly a room can feel like it's uh, expanding and giving you more space in it. So there is a sense of um, the house is a living entity uh, if you're able to, if the lambs and pickles are able to see it. What is the distinct theatrical element of this production? I think there's elements. I think it's probably a few. Like I think the um, who was telling the story I think is really important in this show. Um, in this production that, like I said, the the cast are a sort of contemporary cast from 2019 going back into the story of the lambs and the pickles. So it really is a sense of who tells or holds the story today is uh, an ensemble of 12 Australians who are finding a greater sense of reconciliation between themselves and they're going back to tell this story when uh, those steps were still not very progressed uh, and we're still not very progressed in it but so there's a sense of we're going back to when the country was still growing up and we're still growing up today um, so that I think who tells the story is quite important and I think that focus as I said before on uh, we, we switch the difficulty of the show is that we switch between very humble very simple storytelling and then have to go into something incredibly epic and how to do both because they are complete contradictions, is sort of been the complexity of the show. So I'm not going to tell you how we do it. But um, uh, one, the biggest thing I'm, I hope will you know, be noticeable for this production is that we can do something very grounded, very just human and humble, and then something very supernatural when we move into the realm of um, basically everything to do with water. Every time we're on the river, I think we're stepping into another realm of understanding or dimension and theatrically we try to create that for an audience. Will that be quite a jarring change? Will it be a really strong difference between the scenes? Yes, it will be a strong difference. You will know, you'll know it. It'll, it. Hopefully it's a, um, it will be a visual and sound and spatial shift that we do a few times throughout the show and I think uh, the audience should learn, I, I, I think we'll learn, know very quickly that that's the symbol for when we're stepping in um, yeah, into a place that's sort of beyond body, that's beyond um, what what Tim says in the book and in the play about they're beginning to see, they're beginning to see something beyond uh, what's uh, the everyday. Are these theatrical moments of contrast similar to what we saw in your recent production of Picnic at Hanging Rock? Um, yes, and like there's certainly a there's a link to Cloudstream and Picnic at Hanging Rock, like. Theatrically, it's the same, almost the same team making the show. And there are moments that have echoes of Picnic and Hanging Rock in it, particularly in part two of the play when Quick is out in the field and is sort of being scared to death by seeing a naked version of himself running through the fields. Like, I think that should feel like something that could be from Wake and Friday or Picnic and Hanging Rock. Um, so, yeah, we will push uh, the horror when it feels right. What do you consider to be the main themes of this piece? Um, I think big themes are about, well, Tim puts it into the text and as do Justin Monjo and the Kem write about the idea of us and them, uh, the idea of uh, communities that separate themselves or the ideas of you separating yourself from people from the past, that they're just 
people from 50 years ago, like this distinguishing of us and them and that the play takes 20 years for families and like quick, for example, to realise that it's just us and us, that it takes time um, to realise that borders and lines in the sand that we draw very rarely help us. If anything, they disrupt us and separate us in unhelpful and un- unhealthy ways. Um, and so I think this is a process of trying to um, remove remove those lines. And like I said, it's not just about community and families. It's, I think it's also about a line that gets drawn in the sand, but history sometimes in the past that I, was, I, weren't, I wasn't there. It's not, nothing to do with me and actually taking responsibility for the past. Um, I think that's a big idea. I think there's a big theme all the way through it of... Um, Guilt, like I think what happens to, I think Quick, uh, what happens to his brother, to Fish, he carries, he thinks it's his fault and it takes him 15 years to sort of, to come to a place where he can um, not have survivor's guilt and can see Fish and not feel um, horror at his inability to help his brother at that moment. Um... And I think there's other big ideas, like I said. Of, I mean, the other thing is just an extraordinary thing of watching these these characters grow up. I think there's just an endless sense of the beauty of them loving and falling out of love and maturity, but also them struggling with hardship. Like they have incredible moments of glory and then incredible hardship and you really feel for them when you can just see them not seeing a light at the end of the tunnel and not being able to rationalise why they are being why they're being so hard done by. And I think that's a feeling that you deeply empathise with. You're going in the moments of hardship. It's very difficult to understand that we're ever going to get out of this or why it's come about. And so, in retrospect, you start to understand. And are the theatrical designs supporting and enhancing these themes? They are, actually, and uh, as is often exciting making a piece of theatre, you talk about the themes that you want to achieve and then you start designing the show and then you start realising they're doing the same thing, which means that you're on the right wavelength. So um, the idea of sort of elevating the visibility of stories and communities that um, are sometimes marginalised really impacts the cast and who's telling the story and the way they tell it. Um, I think the the design of the show is trying to be it's 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 trying it's got a very difficult task because it has to represent and offer to the audience um, landscape and space and Western Australia like we're addicted to we've spent literally hours probably days verging on weeks looking at colour palettes for the show to try and capture as a Perth boy, what is some of those colours from WA, which is incredibly difficult to achieve. And um, But we wanted to get a very strong sense of a West Australian landscape present on stage symbolically, as well as an interior of a house that is intruding on that landscape. And so how to create a piece of theatre that has both vastness and claustrophobia, nature and urban, um, was a challenge, but is also something that that's a big conflict in the book, so we're trying to bring that out in the design. Um, and I think the third thing would be that uh, taking very seriously Tim's sense of, um, I don't know if spirituality is the right word, but Tim's sense of the metaphysical or what 
is beyond uh, lifetimes. Um, and he writes about that a lot in the book, I think. And so we've tried to find our own theatrical offering to an audience of what that um, might feel like. You spoke about the house literally splicing through the stage. Is there another example of the themes being realised through stage design? Yes, like there's a... Um, well, at the, yes, the house literally splices in and out. Um, there's just like the Quick's world of the field is just uh, these light bulbs that just hang almost chest height to just create a field of um, darkness and shadow around quick um oh other things i had i'm gonna have to give it away too much what we do (laughs) have the actors contributed to the development of the work um they have in that we haven't started rehearsals yet while we're um chatting now but um the cast who's cast has actually shifted in some ways the a lot of the character allocations and we've changed genders and cut characters because of the cast so um, it hasn't been, it's been a case of um, just like the original play was very much written with the 14 actors that Belvoir were using at the time, 20 years ago. We've got 12 actors and Justin Monjo and I have been shaping the text really to support those 12 actors. So it means that some, you know, it means Uncle Fred's turned into Auntie May. Um, it means there's not an aggressive father coming into the house and cursing, I think it's Ted over one of the girls, he's got pregnant, it's an angry mother that comes in. So we've shifted characters to respond to the cast. Um, I mean, a big shift has been that in the original show, original text, there was one Indigenous actor and therefore one Indigenous character called the Black Man throughout. Uh, we've removed that and that though that strand that the Black Man text uh, was spoken by is now spoken by two sort of two indigenous storytellers that are quite young. They feel like more they're the voices from the missionary speaking to us. Um, so all of those things are changes that we've made uh, to the text in response to the people uh, in the show. Is there a specific theatrical style in this production? It it, it is eclectic, but it also. Um, it moves between a few just clear styles. Like the scenes themselves are naturalistic uh, dialogues, but then characters... Well, Nick Emright and Justin Monjo wrote this fantastic thing where they, they actors step out and talk about the characters in third person. So they're sort of like a... They're not the actor... I don't feel like they're the actor speaking to the audience. They're speaking directly. I feel like they're the character from a different point of view speaking about themselves. They're sort of able to narrate. It's basically... I mean, in a cliche way you could almost say it's like them speaking about themselves in the afterlife that they're talking about what they did in their lives and watch me as I did this moment now and I can see it clearly like I think there's a sense of um they talk uh, about themselves knowing who they are and, and telling the audience um and I think that creates a really uh direct way for an audience to connect with those characters uh, so a fantastic storytelling way to tell a story very quickly and move fast, and also in a in a show that's quite long to just change dynamics. Um, and at other times we push that, like uh, you know, there is a moment which we stop the show and give out ice cream to everyone in the audience um, when Lester Lamb's making the incredible ice cream that's wiping out everyone else, all the other shops nearby. Um, and so those moments are really about uh, acknowledging that the audience is there. And we're in a theatre, 
we know this isn't real uh, and we're joining together to pretend uh, that we're going back to look at these stories from the 40s, 50s and 60s. So in this production of Cloud Street, the actor-audience relationship is manipulated in three distinct ways. They have the invisible fourth wall present during scenes that are realistic. They break the fourth wall with narration and speak directly to the audience. And they will have actor-audience interaction, where they go into the audience seats and interact with them directly. Are there any other ways you're going to manipulate the actor-audience relationship? No, I think they're the only ways. No, they're the only ways we do it. I think we use those three modes. Yes. And we only, yeah, I think the ice cream moment's the only one I predict at the moment breaks out into the auditorium. But you never know. Maybe we should get some people to get up and dance at the wedding or something. (laughs) Is there something you want the audience to be aware of before coming to the theatre and seeing this show? Um, In in many ways, I think not necessarily, because I actually think one of the great things about this play is that it's... uh, it's obviously briefer than the experience of reading the book, but I think actually Nick and Ryan and Justin Munro have done a fantastic job of capturing so much of the weight and beauty and emotion of Tim's novel that you can probably come along and not know anything and enter into it quite, quite successfully. So I don't think there's anything that needs to be carried into the show. Yeah. Thank you for your time today, Matthew Lutton. Thank you. If you would like to know more about Cloud Street by Nick Enright and Justin Monjo, directed by Matthew Lutton, presented at Malthouse Theatre in association with Black Swan State Theatre Company in May and June this year, please go to malthousetheatre.com.au. That is all from us at The Aside. There are plenty of episodes in the bank, so feel free to go through those and find one that piques your interest. If you have a question or you would like to suggest a topic for a future episode, please do not hesitate to contact us at asidepodcast at outlook.com. We answer a number of emails each week, so thank you to those who have reached out already. Thank you to Drama Victoria for their ongoing support of this podcast. Thank you to Aaron Searle for providing the music. And of course, thank you for listening.